Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Wow, Andrew, that was such a good podcast we recorded the other night on shortstops. We went in depth with all the players for two hours. I couldn't believe you you gave us the guaranteed guy that will win people their leagues. On top of that, we actually were given all the busts out. Hey, Justin. Yeah? You know we didn't record that episode, right? No, we talked for two hours, didn't we? Yeah, but it didn't record. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. Didn't record. You know what? That sucks. (laughs) Well, I guess we're going to have to try that again here in a few days, aren't we? Yep, yep. We'll do it again in a few days. Yeah, so now you guys are in on what happened. We recorded a shortstop podcast for you all a couple days ago. And it didn't record. It was the perfect podcast. We actually gave such great information out. In all honesty, I thought it was an awesome podcast we recorded. And we're going to try to do it again in a few days. But we thought we'd work in this first-year player draft podcast in between so we could, you know, get something in between and take a little breather off of talking about those shortstops. And maybe it'll feel a little fresh as we go back into it in a few days. Does that sound good to you, Andrew? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. We'll try to get that out to you again in a few days. But you, li- you live, you learn, you know? Yeah, that was a valuable lesson. You know what <laughs> we did the first thing whenever we called it and started this up this time? What was it, Andrew? What's that? What was the first thing we did whenever we got on the phone oh. here? Yeah, we made sure it was recording. <laughs> well, yeah, he's like, first thing Andrew said, it is recording, right? Yes. Yes, I see the record button on my screen. So we're going to talk today. We're going to give you guys the news since we haven't gone over that in a little over a week. And then we're going to talk about first-year player drafts. Andrew has had four first-year player drafts start and complete. Or actually, you've been in three of them. And then you got a ADP of a fourth one from somebody you knew. And he combined all that. And we're going to get you the ADP from all the first-year player draft eligible players. So that should be real good. You ready to get this thing started? I'm ready. Okay. All right, we'll start right off with the news of the week. Quite a few things have gone on since we last discussed the news, and the biggest piece of news was that Manny Machado signed a 10-year, $300 million deal with the Padres. Seems like a surprising spot, but the more you think about it, the more it kind of makes sense for the Padres to invest right now. They've got a lot of players on the way up, and that seems like a team on the rise. Where do you land on this, Andrew? I think it's good for them. The more I thought about it, I wasn't too surprised. I know they had talked about, you know, when I first heard him mention Harper's name as talking to the Padres, I I started thinking about it, and it it just seemed like it made a little more sense. You know, they're entering their uh, window of contention, maybe not quite there yet, but I think a move like this vaults them into at least the fringe of the playoffs discussion, you know, like a wild card contender type team. I expect them to do, you know, a couple other things and to, you know, maybe push Tatis along a little bit quicker than we originally thought. And I think they could uh, surprise some people for sure. They still could go out there and get another pitcher. 
they have some pitchers right now, and they also have Chris Paddock, who should be up this year. They got a couple guys on the farm that they could bring up to where this is a team that could make some noise this year. And in the grand scheme of things, the last few years, teams have felt like they were a year away from really getting in there, and they've jumped into the playoffs. The Braves felt like that. The Braves felt like that. The Yankees felt like that. There have been a few teams that have done this over the last few years. So who knows? This could be another team that actually makes that jump earlier than expected. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. I think the Dodgers are, are still better, but I think that they're the type of team that could push for a wild card if you know a few things break right. What's really neat for them is they also have an absolutely loaded farm system. Yep. And that's a team that if they are actually in the race come May, June, they've got the pieces. They don't even have to trade their top end prospects. They can trade their middle and lower end prospects. And those are upper prospects on most teams. So they have some got. they could make some splashes without even really putting too big of a dent into their farm system. Yeah, for sure. Next up. This might come as a surprise, but it sounds like Jim Bowden may have gotten a report wrong that he put out there a couple days ago when he was reporting that Craig Kimbrell refuses to lower his asking price and is considering sitting out the season. Since that came out, Kimbrell's agent came out and strongly denied any truth to that rumor, and he said, no, he's definitely looking forward to pitching this year, but... I thought this would be a good point to at least bring him up since we haven't talked about Kimbrell yet. Here we are about a month from the start of the season. He still isn't signed to a team. The fact that he isn't signed right now, is that affecting your drafting of Kimbrell at all? No, not really. I don't, I don't really think about it too much. I mean, I expect that he'll get signed and things will just be back to normal. I mean, I would maybe consider, see, the thing is, is I, I, was probably taking him below Jansen and possibly Chapman anyway. So I'm not really moving him below anybody else. I, I don't really think it, uh, I think those three are kind of all in a group. Those three are guys that the team they're on, they're the closer, you know, it's just they're ninth inning guys. They have been for years and I, I haven't seen any reason for that to change. So I guess, you know, if you, if you want to bump him down a little bit, but I'd be careful doing it because the minute he signs, it's all back to normal and life is good again. Yeah. I don't think I'm downgrading him at all because of the news. I think I am a little lower on him than you are. I, I just have a weird feeling about him this year. And I don't think that's a guy I would want to give a three to five year contract to like he's looking for. I just have a weird feeling with the way his season seemed to end. Maybe it's just me having a bad taste in my mouth, remembering that last world series game, but I don't know. I, I feel weird about him this year, but I don't even have anything really to back it up other than just what I saw at the end of the year. Moving on, Clayton Kershaw threw his first bullpen last Monday, and he was having some – he wasn't feeling right. And by the end of the week, they actually had had him shut down. It looked like they were just going to give him some rest and go from there. And then – it sounded like over the weekend, Dave Roberts finally said that it's a shoulder problem. So let me ask you this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you about Kershaw right now? I would say probably about a 7. I'm pretty worried, actually. 
I, I did hear today that they said he's still on track for opening day to be the opening day starter and stuff, but it just sucks. You know, it's like we're sitting here in late February and there's already questions about the guy's health before this. Now you hear this, you know, and it's pretty brutal. I, I would, I'd be scared to draft him in the coming month. I mean, it's, it's just not good. Could he be okay? Yeah, sure. I mean, but it's a pretty hefty price still to pay to see. And I mean, I have him in dynasty. I've owned Kershaw since he was a prospect basically every year. I, I had him in my home keeper league that doesn't exist anymore. And I've got him in Roto Masters one. And, you know, I've, just, I've had him every year. He's been pretty much my favorite player to watch for several years. I, you know, I catch his starts as much as I can. I've watched so, so many of them, but it's piling up here. And it doesn't sit well right now when you hear this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried for sure. I invested in my redraft auction league that is finishing up in the reserve rounds, but I drafted co-aces. I think it was Kershaw and Syndergaard are the two that I drafted. And I think I spent about 26 to $28 on each of them. If I could go back right now and just throw that Kershaw money back and spend it elsewhere, I would. I'm worried. Already we're having these problems and it's not a good sign whenever you're starting off your first bullpen and you're already, your shoulder and arms not feeling right. That's one of those things that sometimes that can be something that is a problem that hurts the guy for the first half of the year. But I feel like there's people out there that are, it's almost like they want to see Kershaw have problems. I, I don't really understand it, but I feel like there's a large part of the community that is like loving the fact that he's having issues now and, Maybe it's just guys who haven't owned him for the good parts. I don't know, but people gang up on him, I feel like. And it's just, it's crazy, man. This guy has the best ERA in the last hundred years. If you're a baseball fan, you should want him right. I mean, if, if you're not, then I mean, okay. But it's just, it's crazy to me. Like it, it's really sad what's going on with him right now. And I feel like some people are enjoying it almost. It's disgusting. I think those people, the reason they are being this way is they, for the last few years, have been using that argument, always oh, injury prone. I won't touch him. And they see people still defending him. And this is their, see, I told you, which yeah. it's better for the game when he's healthy. And it's better when, for the game when a guy like that is on the mound. I really would love to see him get himself right and actually have a couple more of those 200 inning seasons. Something like Verlander's done the last few years where he just all of a sudden was healthy and right again and pitching like an ace. Yeah, you never know. I mean, anything can happen. I just just hope he, uh, hope he gets better soon. Next up, another worrisome arm. Carlos Martinez is being shut down for two weeks to strengthen his shoulder. Cardinals general manager John Mazalek also sounded frustrated with his training this offseason and getting ready for 2019. We've talked about him on the first podcast, and Andrew, I know you were wary at that time. So I doubt this changes much for you, but I will talk from my perspective being a Cardinal fan. I was hoping that last year was all about him pitching in the bullpen just so that they could have him down the stretch as they were trying to make the playoffs. And I was optimistic he could come in and start right from the opening day and be fine this year. And still was holding out hope as he was holding out, having those little problems a couple weeks ago. But with this news, I'm out. 
I am definitely worried that he's not starting the year in the rotation. He may never start another game again for them. At this point, the GM's already frustrated with him. They have enough other arms. This could be the end of Carlos Martinez starting in St. Louis. Yeah, I wasn't interested before, not interested now. I feel like we touched on that a few episodes ago. I will say that if his price just gets to the point where it's outrageously cheap, I'm not necessarily against going after him, but I'm just out, man. Like it just nothing, it's nothing's right right now. His health isn't right. His skills have declined a little bit. And I just, I just don't really want anything to do with him. If if he's going to come back and be fine and pitch great, that's cool. It, it'll be on somebody else's team. Just not for me. He did bring a good point there. If, if he drops far enough and with this news, he's going to plummet to where, if it goes far enough, you're getting to the end of your draft or the reserve rounds, and he's still there. I guess it would probably be more likely the end of a 15-team draft or in the reserve rounds of a 12-teamer. That's probably worth a shot, just in case he gets back. And the other thing to add in here, the Cardinals still don't even have a designated closure yet. If he's pitching in the bullpen, they make they could just decide to play matchups with Hicks and Miller and set up and use Carlos in the ninth, or it could be the other way around where it yeah. might be worth a flyer yeah it's like i feel like the cardinals rotation is deep enough that they don't necessarily have to have him there and i feel like their bullpen there's hicks there's miller there's maybe reyes who also could be maybe in the rotation too granted i know he has his issues too but i don't know i could just see martinez getting lost in all this i i don't know what to expect i just don't know what type of role he's gonna have there's so many question marks that I'm just out. Next up, we got Malik Smith. He's had some elbow problems and is waiting for doctor's clearance before he can resume baseball activities. He reported to camp having those elbow problems and was shut down for seven to ten days. It sounds like he may be questionable for opening day. Does Are you worried at all or is have much to add here? No, not really much to add. I would draft him uh, just as you have. I wouldn't let it affect anything. His elbow isn't his legs, and his legs are where he makes his fantasy bones. So, no, no issues. I think we'll talk about him whenever we get to the outfield rankings, and we'll have glowing things to say. Next up, Shohei Otani hit off of a tee on Friday. Just a reminder, he's going to be hitting this year as a full-time hitter and recovering from Tommy John surgery. Because of the TJ surgery, since he didn't do it till the beginning of the offseason, he's not expected back until sometime in May as a DH. We won't cover him in the positional rankings since he's a DH only. I thought this would be a good time to talk about him. What do you expect out of him full-time as a DH for the last five months of the year? Man, I don't even know. I mean, I it's like he's got this elbow thing, obviously, so he's not pitching. Is he going to be healthy enough to hit all year? I mean, like you, like you said, he's expected some back sometime in May. Is that going to affect his hitting? Is his hitting special? I mean, I also wonder that, too. I think it's – I don't know about special, but it's good. I mean, I think he's a good hitter. I don't know if he's for me, though. I just feel like in every draft, somebody's going to take him higher than me. In a redraft league, I, I don't think I'm getting him. And as a UT only that's out for the first month, I, I just don't think I'm getting him. It's, most people are taking them, him higher than I would. 
Um, as far as like dynasty goes, that's different because at some point down the line, you're going to get his arm and his bat. And that could just be incredible, especially if it's a daily league, but redraft. No, I just, I just don't think I'm getting him in a daily dynasty league. There's a chance that at the end of next year, not this coming year, but at the end of 2020, going into 2021, he's the number one overall player to own in a di- daily league. He could be that valuable, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah. It's going to be interesting seeing him getting what should be at least close to full-time at bats in basically 60% of a season's worth of at bats. He had 22 home runs and 10 steals. His strikeout rate was still high at almost 28%, but he walked well. He had a lot of good luck on his side with those at-bats, which led to a 285 batting average. A 350 BABIP, a home run to fly ball rate that was pushing close to 30%, 29.7%. But on the same note, he makes a lot of incredibly hard contact. 43% hard contact, 46% medium, and only 10% soft contact. That means he he squares up the ball real well when he makes contact. But if he has a little bit less luck, there's a chance those numbers, he could see some struggles to where I'd be taking the under on that 285 batting average. Hopefully he can improve that strikeout rate with a second season in the bigs. But the other thing to worry about with him, he's going to be rehabbing from TJ surgery all year too. Is that going to affect the amount of games he plays as a full-time DH. Yeah. And we don't know that. We just don't know. Yeah, that's that's the tough part for me. I think he's a good hitter, actually. But it's, it's really just the uncertainty of how that's going to affect him. Anyone saying it isn't going to affect him just is just being hopeful. And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but... Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just feel like it's there's un- unknowns here. The guy, he, he didn't hit lefties well at all. I mean, he crushed righties, but didn't hit lefties well at all. So there's that, too. You know, the fact he can focus just on hitting, you would think would help. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's It's weird. It's just kind of a weird situation with him this year. Because I feel at some point, too, they're going to want to rehab his arm. And then is he going to be out for that? Is he going to still hit? Yeah. There's other people that are just higher on him than me. That's all there is to it. Yep. All right. Another injury. Mike Soroka with the Braves is going to be shut down for four to five days with renewed soreness in his right shoulder. Last year, he missed the entire second half with shoulder problems. And we're just getting into spring training and he already has soreness. Andrew, with this being a young arm who's having shoulder problems again, I'm staying away from this guy. Will you draft him? Uh, I'm kind of with you. Yeah, short term, I probably won't get him. I will say in dynasty leagues, I still like him. I think he goes in a pretty good spot. I think his floor, when he's ultimately healthy, is pretty high. Agreed. But... Yeah, this year, there's question marks going in anyways, as far as innings and stuff go. I just don't know how many he's going to get. Now this, redrafts, I probably won't get him unless he just falls really far. But Dynasty, I still uh, I still like him. He's in a really good organization, and like you said, he's a high-floor guy. 
I like him as a dynasty arm too. I just hope he gets that shoulder stuff behind him this year. Next up, Marwin Gonzalez signed with the Twins on a two-year deal. We did discuss him in positional rankings. Going to Minnesota, I don't think he's going to be a starter, but they do have question marks in parts of their infield. He'll be able to cover everywhere, being a guy who covers every position. I still think he'll probably get the at-bats. You Do your feelings on him change at all now that he's with the Twins? No, not really. He's a utility guy and a fill-in when there's injury. I, I, I just don't think he's interesting. I mean... He's whatever. The only, like I've said before, the only thing that's interesting about him is just that he qualifies at every position, but that's about where it ends. Yep. As we said before, he's very handy in draft and hold leagues or daily leagues, but in regular leagues, no, pass. Next up, the White Sox signed Irvin Santana. He's still playing ball. Care or don't care? Uh, don't really care. I do think, though, because... He's, like, basically free. I want to say in my NFBC draft, he went, like, in round 35 out of 50, and he wasn't even signed. It was in the late 30s, 35 to 40, somewhere in there, those rounds. He wasn't even signed, and I was considering him when he went, but that's what we're talking about here. It's it's not a guy that you're rostering in a standard league. He's 36 years old, run-of-the-mill type guy. You know, it is what it is. He's whatever. It was brutal last year. I've always really liked him as a pitcher. I hope he gets back out and has a good year, but I'm not optimistic. It's more one of those that I'd be waiting to see before I'd be, you know, he's one of those guys that could be a hot waiver wire ad in the first couple weeks if he gets out to a good start, but that's about all I'd say about him. He is is one of those guys that should log innings, you would think, as long as he's healthy. Because he's at, you know, at 36, it's not like they're holding him back for anything. So he'll, he should pitch. It's just a matter of how, I mean, are the innings just going to be so bad that they kill your team? But mm-hmm. like I said, it's, we're talking deep flyer in a draft, 50 round draft and hold. It's not a standard league guy, really, unless it's spot starts because he's pitching. If he's pitching great, you know, you may spot start him against a bad team, but that's about it. He's going to be teammates with Lucas Giolito. I just realized that. <laughs> yeah. Of after having an eight ERA last year, he can push yeah. him and Giolito can have a friendly competition for who can be the AL's highest ERA. Yeah, no kidding. Ah, uh, I just took Giolito in the last round of a reserve today as the last pit, my last pick. It's kind of a oh, what the heck? We'll just see. But it's <laughs> dynasty or redraft. 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 All right, final yeah. piece of news. Sonny Gray with the Cincinnati Reds has already been scratched from his first start with his past weekend with elbow soreness. Given he's had a bunch of elbow things here and there, and it ended really badly in New York, then he goes to Cincinnati, and it's like, well, he's getting a fresh start, but he's also going to another terrible park. We'll probably touch more on Gray as we get into pitcher rankings, but do you want to add any small little blurb here on him? No, not really. I I feel like his career is just kind of falling apart. It, when he broke out, it was I, I liked him a lot around that time, but man, it just seems like he's just getting worse, and now injuries are starting to happen. And yeah, it's just it's just not looking good. I I don't really have much interest in him these days. I remember my first dynasty league was 2016, and 
I don't remember. I'd have to go back and really look, but I think he was drafted like to be somebody's ace or number two at that time. It's yeah. amazing how much has changed in three years with him. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, that covers all of our news. Next up, we're going to go into first-year player draft rankings. Sound good? Yep, sounds good. I'm excited to do this. Okay. So I'm going to kind of take Justin's role here. So basically what I've done is I have compiled a list, uh, basically an ADP list of the top 30 for first-year player draft rankings. So what I did was I took the average draft position from four different leagues, Rotomasters 1, Rotomasters 2, Real Fake Dynasty, and Solaire Storm are the four leagues. Um, I'm in the first three. I'm not in Solaire Storm. The results of that draft were actually sent to me by our good friend Steve Trapani. And what I did was, you know, I just I averaged all these guys out and put them in order. So top 30, and we're just going to kind of go down the list and discuss them a little bit. Sound good, Justin? That sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to this. And with a lot of people having first-year player drafts right now, this seems like good content for people that well, people like to hear. So our first guy is Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds. He went in the four drafts. He went number one in two of them. He went fourth and one, and he went seventh and one. ADP of three point two five. First pick, first round pick out of Florida for the Reds. Impacts the game on both sides of the ball. It's athletic with the potential for plus tools across the board down the road. Kind of feels a little bit like Bregman, Rendon, and Senzel. You know, just a safe college bat. Definitely the safest pick among first-year player draft bats. Yeah, I think the Bregman-Senzel comps are interesting. Senzel was the comp I was thinking whenever I was reading up his profile. Bregman was compared to Senzel, so it's, and now Senzel's been compared to India. You know, all of those guys feel like high-floor guys. What's interesting about it is Bregman actually turned himself into a first-rounder this year. But I look at Sinzel and Rendon, and I look at all those guys as floor guys who I don't ever see expect. I don't expect to be first rounders, but could be solid contributors for years to come. And he is definitely the guy I would have taken number one in a first year player draft. Yeah, I would as well. I uh, I think that with this guy, he's he's just extremely safe. Like I am very confident that he is going to be an average to above average major league starter. And when you go down this list, there's guys that you hope become that, but I feel like he's going to become that. And that's, you know, not the highest ceiling guy on this list for sure, but, you know, floor matters too. And I I just think he has a lot of floor. I think he's definitely going to be good. Next, we'll go to number two, and that is Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, he actually went number one in the other two of the drafts, went two and one, and went 13 in Rotomasters <laughs> 2. Wow. Yeah. So one, one, two, and 13. Uh, ADP of 4.25. As I go through these guys, too, just so you know, I understand that these ADPs, it's only based on four drafts. It's obviously a small sample, 
but I was just kind of doing it more to go down the list than I was for the actual order. Wanted to have it in some kind of order, so that's that's the reason we did it. Um, top arm from Japan missed uh, missed some time early last season with a shoulder issue. Was effective on his upon his return, but never quite showed the same level of dominance. More of a mid rotation lefty, not not as dominant as Otani or Darvish or Dice K as you know that previously come over. Well, uh, before we go into Kikuchi, I want to say, like you said there with the ADPs being all over the board, this year feels like a year where there's a lot of talent and they could be swinging in all kinds of different directions. It just felt like there were a lot of guys that I wouldn't have blinked if they went third or 14th in these drafts. And Kikuchi, that is a good example of it, going in the top three and the first three drafts there and then going 13 in the other one and i do want to mention where he went 13 because that was in the league i was in and i had the 10th 11th and 12th pick and this will go right into my feelings on kikuchi i'm afraid of him i think between the shoulder issues i could end up really feeling wrong here but when he fell to me at 10 11 12 i didn't expect him to be there and i also didn't want him and maybe i should because eventually as somebody falls far enough, it becomes value. And there were definitely guys in the league that were shocked that he fell that far and thought that it was a mistake that he fell that far. But a lefty with shoulder issues, that's not pitching dominant. And I worry that already having injury issues and then coming to the U S where you normally pitch every five days, they're already saying that they're going to put some abbreviated starts in there to help try to keep them healthy. I have a weird feeling that this is going to be one that doesn't go well. And at the end of the year, I'll eat my crow on it if he has a solid year or even solid first half, because that's what normally has happened with Japanese pitchers coming over is they dominate at first while the MLB is trying to adjust to them. Yeah, I'm mostly with you. I just kind of look at this this guy like I don't think he's an ace. And... I have had success in dynasty leagues with acquiring pitchers that aren't aces for relatively cheap price. I mean, I just, I feel like you can take any of these other guys that we're going to talk to, you know, in the top, pretty much top 10. I feel like you can take any of those guys and trade them for a better pitcher than Kikuchi. That said, I could see him starting out well. I mean, a lot of these guys, when they first come over, you know, they haven't been seen before. So they're getting guys out. Some of it's just deception and, you know, they can't pick it up. And then once the league catches up to them and they see him a second time, they start getting hit. I could see that happening with Kikuchi where he starts off good. You know, the beginning of the season, first half of the first season, whatever. But yeah, I just I feel like you could take any of these other guys and flip them for a better pitcher. And if that's what you want to do, that that's why I I would take all of these guys ahead of Kikuchi coming up. I probably had Kikuchi around like 15 on my board. And I know some people probably think that's crazy. It's you know, they all they all say immediate returns, you know, you're going to get results right away but to me if those results aren't impactful results then what's the point you did you had what didn't you pick at eight or nine in roto masters too 
I'm mixing up a couple of the drafts, but yeah, I picked around eight or nine in in a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And did I, not take Kikuchi in that league where he was available. Yeah, that's just. I guess that's just kind of my thing with him. I just. I feel like these other guys can get you even better. That said, if if he starts hot, there will be even more hype than there is now. I will say yep. that. So that may be a good time to move him too if if you did buy in on him. Yep. And if he starts hot and that value goes up, it was a mistake for me to pass on him because that value would be up there and somebody would pay the price for him. Number three is Trevor Larnick, outfielder for the Minnesota Twins. College bat out of Oregon State, uh, probably a corner outfielder, has great plate coverage, should move pretty quickly, um, great swing from the less left side. One question I always have with Minnesota Twins guys is I feel like their player development has been, oh, what's the, not great to say the least. So you just, you wonder about that. But I, I do think and hope he should buck the trend and, uh, he should be in Minnesota by, I would say, 2020. Alex Kirilov, that's a guy who is gaining a lot of steam right now with a real good hit tool with some pop. And Trevor Larnick looks like he could be a very similar player coming in right behind him. I'm surprised that he's had some 50-hit grades because things I've heard about him, I think I, I think he's higher than that already. I'm a sucker for lefties that can go the opposite field, too. And, this, and he also controls the strike zone well, takes walks. If you're drafting a guy like Larnick, and I did take him in a dynasty startup this last month, you're hoping you can get yourself something like a 280 hitter with a high 300s on base percentage and 25 to 30 homers. And while that's not a superstar, that's a really good floor bat. And I don't think his floor is too bad. It's a lot higher than a lot of these other guys going in this first year player draft. So he's a guy I'm high on. Yeah, I think I personally think he probably has. I, I guess I'll exclude Kikuchi for a minute just because he's going to start in the majors. But I think Larnick probably has the second highest floor with India, or you know, right mm-hmm. there with India as far as floor goes. So yeah, I, I definitely think he's going to be good for sure. Agreed. Number four, we've got St. Louis Cardinals third baseman Nolan Gorman, uh, ADP of five. Went in the top eight of all four drafts. Uh, huge raw power. He's a little stiff at third. People are kind of split on whether or not he'll stick there. Uh, big power to all fields. Did strike out 39 times in 94 at-bats once he got moved up to low A. Though getting there at 18 is a, is a pretty big deal. I'll, uh, I'll kind of start on him. I'm not as big on Gorman as everybody else. Uh, I do recognize that there there are a lot of smart people that have him at one. I can I can get behind it on trade value alone because I do think a lot of people are high on him. It's just to me, there's three things that we look at when we're looking at fantasy baseball contributors: hit tool, power, and speed. Those are the three primary things. And to me, he's 18 years old, and two of his are in question. I'm not sure how great he, how well he's going to hit, just pure hit tool, and he's not a runner. Granted, his power is huge, and I'll give him that. And the hit tool can still develop a little bit. I understand that. But I am just a little more wary about him than, than I feel like the field is. Everybody seems really high on him, and 
the one thing that he does really well, which is the power angle of it, is also the easiest thing to find in fantasy. Yeah, I'm just I'm not quite uh I'm not quite as big on Gorman as everybody else. What do you uh, what do you think? Well, you're a Cubs fan, so you're built to hate him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just had to say that. Oh, he got me. <laughs> so Gorman, and I'm a Cardinals fan, so I have to come out here and say that I think he's going to be entering the Hall of Fame in 2035, so can't wait for that. Now, in all seriousness, a big power guy with a questionable hit tool who I already hear could end up being a first baseman maybe by the time he starts or early in his career. Everything I hear worries me, and I'm not high on him. Guys with hit tools like this, if they if they get it right, they could be superstars. He's got the upside as much as anybody here because the power the raw power is incredible. It could get up to forty home runs a year. I worry about bats like this. A lefty bat who already doesn't seem like the hit tools there. These aren't the type of guys who I end up chasing in these type of drafts. So I definitely wouldn't be taking my fourth in my startup dynasty last month he was the first prospect from this first year player draft that did go and i took india quite a bit later all right we'll go on to number five casey mize of the detroit tigers starting pitcher adp of 5.5 in these drafts uh he's got a devastating pitch mix throws a lot of pitches has a plus plus fastball that he locates well he was top 20 in Division One in walk rate as a sophomore and junior and led Division One in strikeout to walk rate in 2017. Has a higher ceiling than Kikuchi. is a potential front of the rotation guy, and the Tigers coaches love him. I had the 10th, 11th, and 12th pick in that sub-draft that I was in, and I really was hoping he'd make it to me. I feel good about him in terms of good control, Really, really good splitter. I think this is going to be a guy that gets hitters out. I think he's going to be a real good arm, personally. All pitchers are risks. I didn't think he'd get to me at 10 just because it seems like he does go higher pretty early in a lot of drafts. But then again, sometimes people get too worried about pitchers and they fall. And I, He was one that I would have taken if he made it down to me. I probably wouldn't take him fifth. I think there are some bats below him that I would take, but I would consider him. He would definitely be in my top 10. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't take him fifth either, but I totally understand if you want to take him there. Whatever I ever will say about pitchers and dynasty, if you are an ace, you carry so much value. It's just the pitchers that aren't aces, I feel like you can get relatively cheap. But pitchers that are, they're really hard to get. And I think Casey Mize could be that. Not saying he will be for sure. There's obviously, you know, a few things that need to happen. But I do think that he has the potential to uh, to be a frontline starter. There's no doubt about it. His stuff is nasty. Set, I mean, plus-plus fastball and plus-plus splitter. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty incredible, really. So I'm looking forward like- to seeing him. I love pitchers with a real devastating splitter. I think they're fun because yeah. that's a pitch. That's a 
that one can just make hitters look silly watching it just bottom out. I love them. Yeah, yeah. Number six, we've got Jared Kelnick from the Seattle Mariners, outfielder, ADP of 6.25. He was the prize in the Diaz-Cano trade. Uh, Has a long track record with wood bats. Complete player, has the feel of a safe college bat, though he isn't. He's just 19 and came out of high school. Definitely some untapped upside here. Could be a five-category contributor by the time he gets to the majors. Um, I uh, I didn't land this guy anywhere. That said, I, I do feel like there's a pretty decent floor here, even for a young kid. And I, I think he's one of those guys that is just going to be good all the way up, you know, just like kind of a steady climb. And by the time he gets close to the big leagues, he'll be an elite prospect if he does that. So you could even argue he is already, you know, he's, he's the Mariners best position prospect already. So I like him here. I didn't get him anywhere, but I I like him. I didn't get him anywhere either, but I would have liked to have, and I've had trade discussions today with somebody about him. I don't think anything's going to come of it, but I do think he would be a nice prospect to have. If I'm owning Kelnick, what I'm hoping for is a guy who can be a 280 batting average, 25 home runs, 10 chip in, 10 steals. That's a solid player if you can get something like that as long, while the steals are there. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. He sh- like I said, I, th- I think he's definitely going to be good. Just as he works his way up, I think that he'll be a really good player for him. Number seven, one of my guys. Xavier Edwards of the San Diego Padres. Shortstop with a 7.75 ADP. Uh, his hit tool has ticked up a little bit since he since he was drafted. Had an electric debut in pro ball last year. Stole 22 bases in 45 games with a 4.53 OBP. More strikeouts than walks in that sample. Could move to second base, but the ceiling here is a dynamic leadoff hitter with 40 stolen base potential. Will be some work required to get there. So I love this guy. Man, it's just the unique combination here of on base and stolen bases. There's not a lot of guys across the league that do that. And he's he's a little ways away. You know, he's he's still very young, but just showing that ability to get on base. I mean, the guy, the guy has legit 80 grade speed. This isn't like 25 stolen base potential. This is league leading stolen base potential if it all works out. So, you know, you just hope that he uh, puts in the work and gets there, but it, it'll, t- it'll take some work. Cause he, I, I believe he's 19. So, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time, but I just love the, uh, the skill set with being able to get on base and, the, the stolen base upside. It's just incredible. You're in four dynasty leagues, Andrew. How many did you nab him in? Uh, I got him in two. Yeah. I was hoping for more, but yeah, I got him in two. And I'm happy you with were, that. You were ticked. I was talking to you when you missed out on them both, and you were ticked. <laughs> yeah. definitely one of your guys. Yeah, definitely one of my guys. And thankfully, you clued me in on him because it allowed me to grab him in my startup dynasty as I was hearing about how high you were on him and hearing you describe him just now, 
you know, the other night we recorded that shortstop podcast that will never make it out. But when we <laughs> record again, you will hear us go on and on about how much we like Garrett Hampson. And the yeah. reason we like Garrett Hampson are a lot of the reasons why Andrew loves Xavier Edwards. Yeah. You don't see it often where you have a guy that can hit, take a walk, and steal a lot of bases. Yeah. That's the yeah, cop I was just thinking of while hearing this. And the great thing about it, too, is just so many of the guys nowadays are power types that, you know, the hit tool is questionable or I hate to bag on it, but kind of like Gorman almost, you know, it's like the the hit tool is questionable. The power's good. Obviously, Gorman's power is great, but I just feel like those types are more common. And these types like Xavier Edwards are a lot less common. I just I really like them. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, but. Okay, I might need a drum roll for this one. This is my guy. Number eight, Marco Luciano, San Francisco Giants shortstop. ADP was nine, and I will admit I drove that ADP up (laughs) as high as I could. I got him. So in these four drafts, I got him in the three that I, uh, I was in. I wasn't in the fourth one, and I'm kind of glad we have the fourth one to bring the ADP to normal levels, I guess you could say. Um, but I did get him in my other dynasty startup. I've got him in all four. Uh, plus athlete, probably will end up moving off shortstop, but he's athletic enough to play third base, center field, right field, pretty much wherever they put him. He's a physically advanced 17-year-old, yet to play in the States. Should uh, should maintain his value, though, until he debuts in June. And a lot of the reason I like him so much is I think he has the highest ceiling of anybody on this entire list. I think that this is a guy that if we're sitting here a year from now, I think he can easily be a top 20, top 10 prospect, maybe even top five. All, all the tools are there. I've seen him in the top 60 to 70 in multiple spots already. Keep in mind, he's 17 and has never played in the States. So that alone is just incredible. But yeah, I think there's batting average, power, and speed potential. You know, just across the board, there's a chance that this guy just completely explodes. And I'm willing to buy in. I don't think that I actually, I've I've thought about this since I've done it. Because in the three drafts that I took him, I took him at four, seven, and nine. Two of those three, I traded up to get him to make sure I got him. The more I've thought about it, I would take him at two behind India. That's how aggressive, wow. I'm, that's how aggressive I'm willing to be on this guy. Because the thing is, I look at, I look at first-year player drafts like, I mean, people will say Luciano's a risk. And I get it. He is a risk. There is a chance that he could flame out. But to me, the risk associated with a subdraft pick is minimal because all of these guys, in theory, are risks. And we'll get into it a little more. We've got a question at the end about upside versus floor, but I just think he has the highest ceiling. And I think that there is literally superstar potential here. And so I'm willing to just buy into that chance you know and if i'm wrong then whatever i mean i'm i missed out on a subdraft pick my my team won't be ruined 
that's kind of how I view it. So, Vladimir Guerrero, Eloy Jimenez, Fernando Tatis, Wander Franco. It seems like more and more of our top prospects are coming from the International League that are tooled up, that can hit, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're in the top five prospects in the game. I, I get it. I get everything you're saying. I don't know if I would have him too personally, but I don't have a problem with it. It makes sense. You're shooting for the moon with these guys, and... It seems like more and more of these international guys that are coming over as one of the top signing bonus guys that have got these kind of skills. Next thing you know, you wake up in June and or July, and they're right there in the top five or ten already in prospects. On Baseball America, when you read the scouting report for Luciano, the first line just kind of says it all. A plus athlete with tremendous offensive upside. And that's just what you're buying into, you know, if you're wrong, like, like I said, if you're wrong, it's not the end of the world. It's ultimately, it's a, it's a sub sub draft pick, you know, and I don't feel like any of these guys, if you wanted to move them around from this order, or you like somebody specifically move them up. I mean, just take them wherever you want, because there's no, this order is not locked in by any, by any stretch. There's, there's guys going at the back half of the first or the you know the back few of the first round where I wouldn't argue if you took them at the top of the first round if you really want them. It just depends on your uh, how much risk you're willing to take on. But I feel like they all have that, which is kind of why I tend to shoot for the upside. I'm with you. Number nine is a guy I know that you got in your startup, Victor Victor Mesa. Miami Marlins outfielder with a 9.5 ADP. Uh, he signed for 5.25 million, largest in the 2018 international class. Has double plus speed, above average hit tool. If the transition goes smoothly, he could be up late in 2019 or early 2020. If it doesn't, could potentially nosedive. Already almost 23. I, I feel like he needs a hot start. What do you uh, what do you have to say about Victor Victor Mesa? Yeah, if he gets a hot start, he could be up at the end of this year. The thing I want to say about Mesa, a couple things. I ended up getting him in the sup in our Rotomasters 2 sub draft, and I took him in the startup dynasty. I didn't go into either of those drafts thinking I was really higher on him than everybody else, but I ended up taking him in both. And I guess I am a little higher than a lot of other people are. I know some people, I've listened to podcasts where I've had it, heard him ranked number one in, in the rankings. The thing I want to say about Mesa is the last few years, there have been some guys who have come over from Cuba, Yohan Mancada, Luis Robert, Rusni Castillo. And the theme on all those guys was, man, these guys have a lot of tools. If they can hit, they're going to be stars. And right now, Rusny Castillo is sitting in AAA. Mankata is scuffling right now. He could always turn it around, but he's scuffling. Luis Robert had a rough first year with injuries and everything else. and that It's still to be determined on, on him and Mankata. But Victor Mesa, he's got the hit tool. People think that his hit tool is a lot better than those three that I mentioned. The thing is, the tools aren't quite there what they were for those other three guys. And 
the 70 grade, I think you're hoping that he's a 30 steel guy from the people who I've listened to. You're hoping you can get, he can, and the power comes to being something like 10 to 15 home runs, maybe. I'm looking at him as a guy who can hit for a decent average, hoping for 10 to 15 home runs, probably in the more closer to 10 and 30 stolen bases. And if he can do that, that's a very valuable hitter. Yeah, that's, it's all good points. Um, I do think that how he starts this year is important, I feel like, because, like I said, he's 22. He'll be 23 soon. I feel like if he comes out of the gates and struggles, it's going to be bad. And because, you know, then a guy's 23 and he's struggling, it, it's kind of an, a little bit older side of a prospect. You know, not old, but just you know how that goes, as opposed to somebody like Luciano where there's a ton of time. For him to develop Mm -hmm. it's like victor victor you're kind of expecting him to come over hit play well and boom he's in the majors and i i pretty much think that's what'll happen i think he'll be pretty good but i'm just saying if he comes out slow out of the gate i think his value could tank a little bit i think that the beginning first couple months of the season is kind of important but overall i think he'll be fine he's got good hit tool can really run i mean he should steal some bases so yeah, I can totally get behind him here. I kind of wish I had a share, and I don't. So I may uh, I may be a little sad about that by end of the year. <laughs> we'll see. Number, uh, number 10. This is another guy like Mesa. I've seen this guy number one on some people's list. Nick Madrigal of the Chicago White Sox, second baseman, 10.25 ADP. I missed a lot of the college season with a broken wrist, but was back for the College World Series. High floor bat, lack of power is kind of where the questions are at. He had zero home runs and 155 at-bats last year after signing. The way he hits, it may not be that big of a deal. Uh, He's above average to plus runner with high makeup. Listed as a shortstop on MILB, but will likely end up as a second baseman. Played there almost exclusively last year. I think uh, I think Madrigal can really hit. I, I guess the question will just come down to how much power he hits for and how much speed he provides. But I definitely think that he'll hit. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like Luis Urias, Keston Hura, that type of guy, which I think is a pretty safe bet to be a high-end prospect at some point. But how much actual impact he has in fantasy, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying it won't be there, but I just I guess that's where my question lies with him. I do think he's very safe, high floor, one of the safer guys that we'll, we'll name off tonight. I'm surprised he actually only had a 60-hit grade on this report you sent over to me. I've Given last year, I think they even made a Twitter account for called Did Madrigal Strike Out? as he was going through the minor leagues because he never strikes out. And he reminds me in some ways of Jose Altuve coming up. Now, I hope you didn't stop listening there because I've got a lot more to say to follow up to that. And when I say Altuve, I mean a little guy with no power who just puts the bat on everything. I don't mean the the steals that Altuve was providing. Altuve had the speed to steal 40 to 50 50 a year. And I don't think Madrigal has that. 
what I think you're hoping to get out of this guy, maybe he gets himself up to the upper t- upper single digits in the home runs, maybe six to eight, and maybe 25 steals. Maybe he can get up to that. But he's not Jose Altuve in terms of getting getting 40-plus. He should be really good with the bat. He could win batting titles. He's a high-floor guy who you're just hoping can get himself up to about 10 home runs and maybe steal you about 20, 30 bags. Yeah, for sure. And I and I also think with power, I mean, nobody's projecting him to hit for power right now. But let's also just take a minute and admit that there have been a ton of guys not projected for power that get to the major leagues and hit for power. You never Who know. Who expected Jose Altuve to hit 20-plus home runs? Right. Who saw yeah. that coming? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of them, too. I'm not saying it'll happen with Madrigal, but I think if there's one tool these days you want lagging behind the others, it's probably that one. So it makes him interesting. Yep. And he Number told o- to me in Rotomasters, too. I was surprised he was there for me, but I gladly took him with one of those three picks from 10 to 12. Yeah, yeah I was going to say I thought you got him. Number 11, we've got San Francisco Giants catcher Joey Bart, 11.25 ADP. Some already consider him the best catching prospect in baseball, has good lateral movement behind the plate, routinely records sub-two-second pop times, should definitely stick a catcher, will uh, will forever be compared to Buster Posey, which is probably unfair. Definitely uh, unfair. <laughs> Could uh, could be in San Francisco by late 2020 if everything everything breaks right. I'm not too interested, and I don't think it's as much Bart's fault as just catcher prospects in general. I it's going to be real hard for me to put a catcher in my top 15 of a first year player draft. I like guys that are behind him. Quite a few of them, I I would put in front of him. The power is real. The hit tool is questionable. If what what can he how where can he hit? How much how good a contact can he make to keep that batting average up? There are a lot of catchers in the league that are like that that are in the low two hundreds with twenty plus home run power, and there's that risk along with the fact that he's a catcher, and it seems like those guys sometimes can be slower to develop. He's a guy who I probably am taking guys behind him. I'm I'm not taking him in my top 15 even. He's probably, when I was doing my rankings, he was definitely more of a second-round player. So I guess that means I'm down on him. But if he does hit, he'll get some helium and be in the top 25 of some people's lists. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, w- I had him probably right around here, maybe a little lower. In my, I definitely had him below the next guy. Um, in my, you know, sub draft rankings, I did actually get Bart in the uh, RM three startup draft in round. It was like late round sixteen, so I thought that was pretty good. Twenty team league, so you're talking like, what is that? Pick three after pick three hundred. So yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Catching prospects are weird because they t- tend to take a little bit of time. The good thing with him is he is a college guy, so you would think he'll move a little bit quicker than they typically do, but it does kind of all come down to 
how he does this next year, year and a half. So we'll just have to we'll just have to see. Number twelve, Cubs shortstop Nico Horner, thirteen point two five ADP. Uh, played three seasons at Stanford. Never had a strikeout rate higher than twelve and a half percent. Good baseball instincts and athleticism could allow him to move around the diamond. Guy puts the bat on the ball. He did have an elbow injury that cut his season short. Got an aggressive AFL assignment, which is rare for current year draftees, and made the most of it. Played really well in the AFL. I also got this guy in Roto Masters three. I I took him ahead of Bart. Um, I do uh, I do like him. I think that this is definitely a hitter that will move around the diamond. I don't really think it's a star like a suit. You know, I don't really see superstar here. Maybe not even a star, but I think he'll be a good regular, and I think he has a good floor. I, I like him. I, I would take him higher than this for sure out of, on, uh, on, this, on this list. I would have him higher than 12. Agreed. He's definitely – he was in my top 10 of my sub draft rankings when I was doing mine. It, I had the – I've said before I had the pick, 10th, 11th, and 12th picks – and he went the pick before me. And what was interesting is there was a guy feverishly trying to trade up to take one of my slots, and he ended up getting the pick before me. And when he got it, Kikuchi was still there, and that's who I thought he was trading up to get because oh. I knew that he was looking for pitching also. And I, I'm sitting there looking at what's there available for me, and I'm thinking, hmm, Madrigal and Horner might be there along with a couple other guys that I was thinking about, including Victor Victor, who we've already talked about. And I thought, man, I may end up taking Madrigal and Horner, which I both both could be second base prospects that have are low strikeout guys who can hit, which are yeah. feel like more high floor guys. And yeah. Horner ended up going the pick before. If he had fallen to me, I would have taken him. I like him. All right, number thirteen, we've got Jordan Adams. Los Angeles Angels outfielder with a 15 ADP. Uh, he was a two-sport athlete in high school, played outfield in baseball and wide receiver in football. Has raw baseball skills as a result. Double-plus speed, 70-grade speed, an upside that rivals anyone on this list. His hit tool does lag behind the rest, so there's some significant risk, too. Uh, a broken jaw ended his season after 105 at-bats. One thing I will say about Jordan Adams, I got him, I did get him in one league. I think this guy has one of the highest ceilings on this list. I also feel like he could be absolutely nothing. I think this is just a total high-risk, high-reward. You always hear high-risk, high-reward. That is exactly what I think of Jordan Adams. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say about him. Wouldn't shock me if he's in the top 20 of rankings next year, if not higher. Very similar to what the Angels did with last year with Joe Adele. He was a very similar player in terms of very toolsy. Can the hit tool make it? And Adele had an awesome year, and now he's ranked in the top 10 in most prospect rankings. And uh, Jordan Adams does have that same type of upside with the speed that he carries. Players like this, if he does get the hit tool there, he could be what everybody's hoping Byron Buxton could be. But on that same note, if it goes bad, this could be like Helio Ramos 
where he's outside of top hundreds and not really not not somebody that anybody wants. So yeah, I agree with you. It does seem like a swing. I did grab him in Roto Masters two at the top of the second round in our draft. Yeah, and I, I was happy to I get him. That was good. Yeah, I thought that was a good pick. It's a dart throw. It's a yeah. we'll see. He's either going to gain some helium and watch his value rise, or he probably won't be on my roster a year from now. Yeah, I got him. Uh, I got him seventeen where I took him. I I can see even getting aggressive on this guy if you like him more than the ones a few of the ones we already talked about. Just just for the ceiling fact, just know that there is there is risk because there there definitely is that. Uh, number fourteen, Jordan Groshans of the Toronto Blue Jays, seventeen point two five ADP. I uh, split time almost evenly last year between shortstop and third base. Likely a third base long term, if not sooner. Uh, he consistently barreled balls in the Gulf Coast League. Has plus bat speed with power to all fields. Baseball America give this guy a 60 hit tool and a 60 power tool, which is always a good thing. What do you got to say on Groshans? I know you have at least one share. Yeah. I, with that 10, 11, 12 pick, I drafted a guy who had slipped through the slipped through the cracks last year. I won't really mention him because I think we'll probably mention him at the end of the podcast. But somebody liked him who was picking right after me and offered me his pick along with a second rounder. And I looked and saw Groshans was there and thought, you know what? I don't really see too much of a risk of difference between these guys. So I made the trade just so I could get Groshans. Because when I looked at that Baseball America book and saw 60 grade hit and power, that's nice. That translates if everything hits into a 280 hitter with 25 to 30 home runs at the third baseman. That's valuable. So I'm in on, I like him. He, I'm a, I'm pulling for him now, but he has a shortstop slash third base, and yeah, he's going to be a third baseman. This is not a shortstop. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Number fifteen, we've got Alec Baum, of Philadelphia Phillies third baseman with an eighteen point five ADP. I was one of the best hitters in college baseball out of Wichita State. Did struggle in his pro debut. Had zero homers and 139 at bats. Should stay at third base for a while, but ultimately could wind up at first, which does put immense pressure on his bat. Uh, I am, uh, I don't know about you, I'm not really an Alec Baum guy. I think that he's a first baseman in the end. And whenever I think of first base prospects, I, I think I mentioned it on the first base step, first base episode. It's It's just one of those things where it's a, it's a tight window of what you have to do with the bat to make a difference. And I'm not saying Bomb can't do it. He could. But it's just very hard to do. There's not a lot of them. I mean, there's, there's you know, five to ten in Major League Baseball, maybe a few more that do it. I mean, a right, right-handed hitting corner infield type that is leaning to first base at you know, ultimately, I, I do think he'll stay at third for a little while, but if he gets to first, it's just he's going to really, really have to hit. And could he do it? Yeah, but it, it's just it's tough. It's a, it's a tough way to make a living for sure. Yeah, I'm down on him. 
it's amazing how fast he's fallen in a year because last June, if you did a dynasty startup, there would have been leagues where he was going number one overall. It's yeah. been a rough year for Alec Baum stock. Yeah. The thing I read about him was that he wasn't pulling anything. And as a power hitting third baseman, you got to be pulling some balls and trying to yoke him out of the park. And it seemed like everything was going off of field. And he's going to have to have some changes to his approach. He's going to have to improve his defense or he's going to be at first. There's just a lot of warning flags on this guy. I think in our draft, he fell to the bottom of the second round, maybe even top of the third round. Yeah, 20, 26 overall in Rotomasters 2. And I passed on him with five different times between pick 10 and 26, I think. And I kept thinking about it, but I've kept seeing guys. I'm like, no, I think I'd rather have this guy as crazy as it sounds. So we'll yeah. be going down this list and adding, listing more players that I'm like, yep, I took that guy over bomb. All right. So for these next 15, we're going to go through them a little bit quicker. Uh, Justin will chime in and give his comments on a few of them. And the other ones I'll just I'll kind of move through. Uh, number 16, we've got Travis Swaggerty, outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates, 22.25 ADP. It's a well-rounded player, went 10th overall in the MLB draft out of South Alabama. Uh, Brent Gardner is a comp I've seen. Chance for across the board, above average tools if his hitting ticks up. As we know, that's the most important tool, but he does come off as a high-floor investment. What do you think about Swaggerty? Brett Gardner is an interesting one. I hadn't heard that comp, but current Brett Gardner for the last few years does sound like a good comp. And I've heard Ben Attendee, poor man's Ben Attendee. I didn't get him anywhere. I really wanted shares of him. And unfortunately, I kept just falling underneath. Like somebody, he just kept going just before where I landed him. But I like Swaggerty. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm kind of not in on him, but it probably just has to do with a Pittsburgh bias. I'm. <laughs> I fair. Yeah, I just feel like the Pirates developing players has just been a mess lately, especially with hitters. And they hold them down. Yeah, and they hold them down. Uh, number 17, Grant Levine, the Colorado Rockies, first baseman. Uh, he's a huge guy, first baseman all the way, 6'4", 220. There's uh, obvious pressure on the bat, but he does crush. 350, 477, 519 slash line in rookie ball last year. Needs to keep his body in check, but if he does, he could be a middle-of-the-order masher. Thoughts on Grant Levine? I like him. This is a guy who, when I read up on him during our SUP draft, I realized I missed, I, sh- I wish I had paid more attention for the Dynasty startup also. I would have made sure I got him too. Big boy, except He's a big guy that knows how to hit and use all fields, plus has a bunch of power. And his K-rate under 20% there in the rookie ball. I really like this guy, and I think he could be one that pops up and becomes a star. Because he's a first baseman, that puts more pressure on the bat. But he's one, a first baseman I would invest in. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I've said what I've said about first base prospects, but I could see him being a difference maker. If it all if it all works out, number eighteen, Matthew Liberator, Tampa Bay Rays starting pitcher, twenty three point seven five ADP, six five lefty to dream on with a nasty curveball that could be a future seventy grade pitch. 
fell to 16th in the draft and then just kept dominating after he was drafted. He really was one of my favorite players when he was drafted, but in fantasy, you just can't ignore that he's a Rays high school pitcher and he will be a slow burn. Uh, one thing I will say is like, I've liked the guy for a long time, but uh, yeah, and just in fantasy, I'm, I'm not that interested just because of how long it's going to take for him to get there. Depends on the spot, but I would probably have him even a little bit lower than this. Number 19, Malcolm Nunez, uh, St. Louis Cardinals. First base, third baseman. He's really, a, he's really a first baseman already. 33 ADP. Interesting thing with Nunez. This is really interesting. Highest WRC plus in all of professional baseball last year at any level, including the majors. Just to give you an idea for comparison's sake, Vlad Jr. was third and Mike Trout was fifth. And for any of you not familiar with WRC+, what it does is it basically measures you at creating runs and your abilities as a hitter in comparison with everyone else in your league. So if you see a player that has a 100, 100 is the median. So if you see a player that has a 100 WRC+, plus, that's league average. Anybody above 100 is above league average. Anybody below 100 is below league average. His was 238. So that's how, I mean, that's how impressive this guy was. He's only 17 years old, had a 415, 497, 774 video game type slash line in the Dominican Summer League. He's 5'11", 205, so we'll have to watch his conditioning. And he, like I said, he's really already a first baseman. More of a masher than a pure hitter. Uh, bad is good, his bat is good enough to carry him, but it will definitely have to. Interesting guy, uh, but he's a ways away. And, but yeah, that, that WRC plus thing is just, it's just crazy to me. Number 20, Alec Thomas, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks outfielder, 33.5 ADP. Uh, pure athlete here, a little bit undersized. Some scouts are reluctant to build in too much projection into his game. Because of that, I uh, just started to focus on baseball full-time. Should stick in center field. Adam Eaton and Ender and Ciarte type if it all clicks. And then number 21, I'm going to kick it over to Justin here to talk about Seth Beer, Houston, uh, Houston first baseman. 38.75 ADP. This guy was interesting in terms of an excellent batting eye. In college, he had almost twice as many walks as strikeouts. Really good on-base skills, but one big problem about him is he is awful on defense. They've got him in the outfield. They've got him playing first base. He's terrible at both to where it really sounds like this guy's going to be a DH, and that's a real big downer on him. Honestly, when I look at him and I read about him, he reminds me a lot of Kyle Schwarber, except with a little bit of better strikeout rate in terms of that's the type of hitter you're looking at. Interesting, and Schwarber has value, and Beer was more interesting in a non-base percentage league, but just be preparing for him to be a DH only because that's coming. Yeah, I think he, I think he's a type of guy that could be a victim of the shift too. Yeah. And he's, def he's definitely a 20-grade runner. So just keep that in mind, too. It, it really is about how much he actually hits because he is like he's like a DH type. 
Number 22, we've got Ralvis Martinez, Toronto Blue Jays shortstop with a 39 ADP. The Blue Jays spent most of their pool money to sign him. Uh, I did see an Adrian Beltre comp, just to give you an idea of the type of player. Uh, room to get much stronger. He's only 17. Calm, relaxed swing. Jays will keep him at shortstop for now, but the consensus is he will move to third base as he gets heavier. A lot of projection here. He's a young guy, so a lot of projection. He's 17 years old. It's Yeah, this is another one of those international guys that I'm taking above a lot of these players we've listed so far. I think you're going all the way up to Levine, like just behind Grant Levine. I'd have him ranked all the way up there in terms of Levine was 17. I'd have him at 18 above most of these other guys just because there is projection here and an international guy with some upside. I'd take my shot on him over a lot of these other guys above him. You want you want to hear something crazy? I got this guy at in the Rotomasters one draft. I got him at pick sixty. Wow. Yeah. Behind. <laughs> man, I'd have to look at that draft again. But I remember thinking in my head, like, okay, I'm going to take him now. And it was like, it just felt so late. I couldn't believe it. That's so incredibly I, late. I guess you could say I'm not even specifically high on him, or else I would have taken him earlier. But, yeah, I thought it was awesome. I'm, I'm pretty pumped that, about it. That's a great pick. Uh, number 23. So this isn't a true uh, first-year player draft guy, but we did talk about it, and we wanted to include him. It's Julio Pablo Martinez, Texas Rangers outfielder, 41.25 ADP. He signed last March, so yeah, he's not he's not a true first-year player draft guy. It's kind of a different situation. He played independent league ball before he signed, and he'll be 23 before the season starts and hasn't played above short season. Uh, Power-speed blend, though the power may not be a big part of his game as much as he moves up. It's an odd combination here of age and level, and he just needs to be tested in the upper minors, I feel like. Again, we... We know that a lot of places when you're looking at first-year player drafts, he may or may not be available, but he was in all of mine, and I know in Justin's, so we just decided to include him, but that depending on your rules and stuff like that, he may, have been, he may be already owned. 24 is uh, one of my favorites. Ethan Hankins, Cleveland Indians starting pitcher, 41.75 ADP. Uh, 6'6 righty high schooler out of Georgia. Great combination of size and athleticism. Could have went 1-1 in the MLB draft if not for his shoulder injury. Uh, has a true plus fastball and an arsenal that has looked absolutely unhittable at times. High, high end upside here if his shoulder in- issues are behind him, which the Indians are confident that they are. I love Hankins. One thing I, uh, I will say is when when you hear me say the things like you're shooting for stars, you're looking for stars. I feel like this could be one of those guys. I really think that this could be a frontline starter in the league. There's a long way to go. He's 18 years old and he had the shoulder injury, but if something like that is going to bump a guy with this talent down, I'm willing to go with it because you're waiting on a lot of these guys anyways. So whatever injury he's had, I don't feel like it's too big of a deal because it's not like even if he didn't have that injury, it's not like he would be in your lineup tomorrow anyways, you know? So 
just wait it out. He could be special. And if you haven't seen the video of him pitching for Team USA, Google it. YouTube it, whatever you got to do. It's absolutely crazy. I'm going to pipe in there, actually. Yeah, I do agree with you in terms of this is a pitcher that, you know, at this point, almost everybody feels a lot more like a dart throw. And you're taking shots as compared to feeling like you've got the bet when the top 20, they just feel a little different than down here to me. And at this point, it is definitely worth a dart throw for a guy like that because of his upside. Yeah, I love him. I got him in two of mine, and Mr. Jake Book sniped me in Rotomasters mm-hmm. too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I was so irritated. <laughs> Number uh, number 25, we've got Cole Wynn, starting pitcher for the Texas Rangers. Uh, easy, compact, repeatable delivery. Best pitch is a mid-70s curveball with a sharp 12-6 break that misses bats. Four pitches that could all be average or better. He's a polished pitcher and should stick as a starter, which has value in today's game. Number 26, we've got Cole Roterer, uh, Chicago Cubs outfielder, 42.25 ADP, same as Cole Wynn. Uh, the Cubs used $1.2 million signing bonus to pry him away from a commitment to UCLA. Has instincts for center field, will likely move to left. Uh, swing is short and compact. He's only 19, so he's a ways away. But amateur and pro scouts saw a similar skill set that made Andrew Benintendi a star in Boston. Yeah, that's a good comp, and it goes back to what I said about Swaggerty. It just seems like a guy who's got that kind of comp in terms of a five-tool hitter. And I think there's this is a great pick at this point in terms of a guy who could turn out to – he's not going to be a first-round league winner. But, you know, Ben Attendee's worked himself into the top of the second round. And I think if everything clicked with this guy, I'm not saying he could be Ben Attendee, but I'm saying that he could be a really good baseball player. Maybe – and this is a big step down when I say, but a Cedric Mullins, Ramon Laureano, one of those types also in terms of a just a 15-15 guy with good stats across the board. Yeah, Baseball America has a 60-hit tool on him, so it uh, he's definitely interesting. I have one share, so I'm kind of excited about it, especially that he's a Cub. It makes it more fun. Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll move through these last four here pretty quick. 27, Parker Meadows, Tigers outfielder, 46.25 ADP. Austin Meadows' younger brother, a great athlete plus runner, power and plus arm, could make him a good fit for right. Strong debut. He displayed patience and power. He's ready for a full season, ready for full season ball. Um, And I think he could shoot up lists in the next year. I I definitely would be on uh, definitely the lookout for that. I, I didn't get any shares of him, but I found him interesting the more I've looked into him. 28, Tristan Cassis. First baseman for the Boston Red Sox, 48.25 ADP. A little bit similar to Levine. He's a big, big boy, for sure a first baseman. Big power, tore a ligament in his thumb that ended his season. Good OBP. His hit plus power should keep him fantasy relevant. But like I said, huge guy, 6'4", 238, even bigger than Levine. Long swing. He'll need to watch his body. You know, he could be that type that's a middle-of-the-order master if everything clicks. 29, we've got Brady Singer, Royals starting pitcher, 51 ADP. 18th pick in the draft out of Florida, has two-plus pitches, fastball slider, changeup still a work in progress. Big game experience in college, should move quickly, should be a mid-rotation starter, and could reach double-A this season. 
And last but not least, number 30, Jeremiah Jackson, Los Angeles Angels shortstop with the 53 ADP. He's a freak athlete, a lot of swing and miss. Angels changed his swing to get him lower in his stance so he could improve his bat path with hopes he could become an average hitter. Arm could push him to second base, but he performed well in the Arizona League and got promoted to the Pioneer League where he was one of the youngest players. Was a little overmatched there, but still posted 27 extra base hits in 43 games in his pro debut. So that wraps up the top 30. Any, uh, any other comments on any of those last few guys? No, I don't really have anything to add. I thought you really covered them all real well there. And you did a great job with this whole list, by the way. Great job. Yeah, thanks. It, it just This stuff interests me. I, I really like digging into the prospects and reading about them and stuff. Um, a few other guys I just want to touch on quickly, and I'll you know if Justin has anything he wants to say about them is fine. These guys were available in multiple of the first-year player drafts that we covered. They're not first-year player draft guys, but in a lot of leagues, anyone that is unowned at the end of the year, you can take in the first-year player draft, even if they're not necessarily guys that qualify there. So just running through a few names, and you know, there are different reasons these guys may be available, whether it's like they broke out late in the year or what have you. But Brian Rocio of Cleveland, shortstop. Luis Patino, uh, Padres pit starting pitcher, Julio Rodriguez, Mariners outfielder, Tyler Freeman, Cleveland Indians shortstop, Antonio Cabello, Yankees outfielder. He's listed as a catcher, but he's really an outfielder. He signed as a catcher. That's that's why they they've got him listed there. I just I think it's funny. Swaggerty, they actually have listed as a catcher on Fantrax too, and I don't understand that one at all. <laughs> And Luis Garcia of the Phillies, shortstop. Uh, I'm kind of. I was kind of in on uh, Rocio and Cabello. I've got multiple shares of both. Got in on Patino last year in one of my 20 team leagues. But any uh, any comments on any of these guys? Julio Rodriguez was one I actually drafted last year, and I had to throw him back because of roster concerns. I wish I hadn't had to. I that's a guy who I really think has some huge upside and really like. And then Luis Garcia with the Phillies, that's a guy who Jason Waddell had number one in his prospect list over Sixto Sanchez. He predicted he would take the Wander Franco-type jump this year. And I that's something to take note on in terms of Waddell knows his stuff. So for him to say that, I was listening. All right, we've got a few uh, a few questions from... The Baseball 365 Facebook group that I thought we could uh, discuss. First one is from Justin Belka, and he says, The thing that I struggle with the most is differentiating between players who are going to fast-track through the minors and give you some value versus players that may take some time but will ultimately be better off for your team. Any chance on discussing these types of strategies? How do you uh, how do you feel about about that? So my first thought is I want the players who are going to help me in the long run. I unless I really feel like going into the year I'm competing now, maybe I would consider it. But for the most part, I'm looking for the guys who are going to give me the most value because you could draft a guy to help you now, but let's say you draft him over a 
for a good example, Marcos Luciano there with the Giants, and let's say he explodes in May, June, you got yourself a prospect who might be able to bring you a much bigger piece than this guy who's helping you now. So I'm a much bigger fan on taking the guys with the heat who I think could get the helium because while you may not be able to use that guy for four or five years in a, in just a matter of a couple months, he may get enough helium to where he's got more value to you because of what you can get back for him. Yeah, no doubt. I'll, uh, I'll kind of echo that. It's all, it's all trade value to me. Um, I want the best player. I don't really care that much if he's, a little ways away. If he's the better player, I'll wait. I also know that if he, if I think he's the better player, I could typically can get more in a trade if I flip him. So I'm always kind of conscious of that and thinking about that angle of it. I don't feel like with, with prospects that you always, it's not all about just waiting them out until they get to the point where they're in their prime. It's about picking the right time as to when to sell them, when to hang on to them, when to buy them, you know, stuff like that. And it, that, it's difficult, but uh, I, I typically would lean towards the better player, even if it means he's a little farther away. Next question is from Brendan Craig. He says, do you look at the player's real team when deciding between players? Like how Colorado is really not giving guys a chance. Baltimore hasn't typically developed pitchers. Tampa does develop pitchers, but they take a while to call them up. Stuff like that. Do you uh, do you factor that in at all? A little, not much. It might. I might use it as a tiebreaker if I see two people as pretty much equal, but I don't put much into it. I really want to take players on their skill. Now, the pitchers and those teams that don't develop pitchers, maybe I'll take that into account a little more, but I knock value down on pitchers already as is to where I don't think that's going to make too much of a difference for me. Yeah, I do it. Uh, I do it a little bit in extreme cases like a Rockies hitter or, you know, kind of like he a mentioned. Rockies a Rockies pitcher, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Rockies pitcher would be the opposite, but I feel like I do it more in like a, in like a redraft league with guys that are in the majors already with, with subdraft prospects. I, I don't do it too much. Um, I, I do think about it a little bit, though. You know, like it's hard to not look at Grant Levine and see that he could one day be in course. But the problem with that is the minute that you start doing that, they trade him. And then it's like you've overrated that angle of it. So I would my best thing to say would just be to be careful uh, thinking too much about it because these guys get traded and moved around all the time. And if you overrate it too much, they're gone. And then they're in a different system. And all of a sudden you're sitting there with a prospect that you thought was going to be mashing in cores. And now he's on the pirates or something, you know, it's just, just be careful with it is all I would say. Third question. Walter McMichael says, do you prefer to take floor or ceiling prospects? Both. I think I like having both. Like, I like drafting Nick Madrigal in a draft, and I like drafting a Marco Luciano in a draft. I feel like I kind of like to have a good mix, but I do want more of them to be ceiling than floor. Uh, but maybe in those early rounds, let's say I have four picks in the first three rounds. I want three of them to be upside, and maybe one of them I can take a guy if I see a floor guy fall. 
but I'm more targeting the upside. But I yeah. definitely like the floor also. Yeah, I hate to agree, but I'm the same way. I uh, I would say I like 70 to 80% to be ceiling and 20 to 30% to be floor. Uh, just kind of how I like to do it. I feel like if if you take just all ceiling prospects, it can be a little a little dangerous, but it's just more my style than taking all floor guys. I I would rather shoot for the moon with a lot of these guys because you want at the end of the day you want the impact guys in your lineup. That's that's kind of the whole point of it, you know. If you wait two or three years for a guy that's just a mediocre middle infielder, what is it actually doing to help your fantasy team? Yeah, it's just it's just not my style. I would rather take the high ceiling guys. I know I'm going to miss on some of them. I'm going to, you know, there's some you're going to completely whiff on. But when you hit on those guys, it's just huge and it makes it just makes a huge difference. The one thing I will say though is it is nice to have a few floor guys mixed in because there are times where floor prospects end up having higher ceilings than you give them credit for. Guys like Bregman, guys like Benintendi, players like that. It's like you think, oh, this guy has a high floor, and then all of a sudden his ceiling's pretty darn high too. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those things that uh, I feel like we probably talk a little too much about floor and ceiling, but yeah, I'm definitely more of a ceiling guy. And I, I just know that you can fill in gaps and get floor a little easier than you can find like superstars. And it's hard to find superstars. We're all trying to find them, you know? So I typically am going to lean towards those guys for sure. And then our last question comes from Brian Crump. And he says, which guys have the best chance of making a huge leap up the ranks next year? I'll give my answer first. Obviously, I'm going to say Luciano. I think he could be a top 10 prospect if everything works out right. I think the one guy that I mentioned, I think I mentioned a little bit when we touched on him was Jordan Adams. I do think that he is the type that will move in one direction very, uh, very strongly. (laughs) Whether it's up or down, I don't know, but he could definitely move up the ranks a lot. And I would keep my eye on Parker Meadows, too, actually. I think he could move up quite a bit. If he has a strong debut with him having the bloodlines with brother Austin and all that, I could see uh, I could see him moving up some as well. Who, who are your guys there, you think? Adams would have been my first pick. I like what you said there, and he's going to move in a direction. He's right now around 100 in most people's rankings. He's not going to be at 100 next year. He's either going to be off the grid completely or he's going to be up there. That's funny. Uh, A couple others. I do think Grant Levine is one who could take a Jordan Alvarez type jump this year. Ethan Hankins is another one to where if he shows he's healthy, like you said, the upside is so high. Those are probably the two big ones I mentioned on that list. Yeah, that, uh, that pretty much does it. How did it feel t- wearing the host hat through this? It's weird. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like it better when you're host, but I was fine doing this. I like 
I like, uh, I really like this stuff. Like this is kind of, kind of my thing. I I'm really into prospects and following them. And I even have, I, I get like the MILB TV and I try and catch some games here and there and I'm really into it. So it wasn't a, wasn't a problem. I, I think you're better suited for it than me, but I had fun. I, I think I enjoy being in that spot more just because I don't like being the analyst as much the more I like piping in with my opinion, but more importantly, just sitting here still while you were talking, it was getting, I was starting to grab things and fidget just because I'm not used to not talking. more. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all right. We'll be wearing these other hats again as we hear down the road, whenever we talk about our, first year or actually not our first year but when we're talking about our dynasty startups that we did but next episode we're going to talk about shortstops so we will go back to our normal roles as we talk about that do want to add one last thing we since we were on last we have finally made it onto itunes google play and a bunch of other networks so you should be able to find us now if if there is something that you listen to podcasts on and we're not on it yet Tweet us at Baseball365Pod or mention it on our Facebook group, Baseball365. We've crossed over the 1,000 member mark this past week, so that's been exciting. Is We're just coming up on six months of the group, and we've already cleared the 1,000 members mark. And I think that's all I have right now. Andrew, is there anything you'd like to close us out with? No, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Marco Luciano is awesome. So take that that from this show and run with it. Yes. I'm just so excited. I'm just so excited, man. I've got him in four out of four leagues and I'm just, I'm just ready. I think it's going to be a party, but we'll see. I'm going to either, I'm going to either be jumping up and down on that hill or dying on it. One of the two. So (laughs) it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Captain of the Marco Luciano hype train. That is for sure. You are the captain seat. (laughs) All right, well, I this is in the closeout, but I do want to mention, now that we're on iTunes, if you could give us a review, we'd greatly appreciate that. And we will talk to you guys later. Take care, everybody. Take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year.